Amen. 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 You may be seated. You know, today we, uh, we lift up the baptism of Jesus and celebrate the baptism of Jesus. And certainly, uh, it would be tempting, uh, especially as we look at Luke's gospel, to kind of just glance over this event as, as it only takes two verses uh, for, for Luke to tell our story for today. Yet, as we heard in our introduction for our reading, these two verses are packed with a depth of meaning uh, and significance, not only for, for Jesus' ministry, uh, but also for John as well, as well as for each and every one of us that are here uh, this morning as well. And while we're going to be focusing on Luke's gospel primarily, what we're going to be doing this morning, we're going to be taking snippets uh, from Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel, and, and a little bit from John's unique perspective as he actually uh, talks from uh, the post-baptism of what what that experience was life. Which brings us to our first takeaway for this morning, that through Jesus' baptism, what Jesus is doing is he is affirming John's role in ministry uh, as the one who would prepare the way for the long-awaited Messiah. Basically, that John is the forerunner uh, as prescribed by, by his father, Zechariah. A few weeks ago, uh, we heard this wonderful testimony of faith about his son, John, uh, from Zechariah, this prophecy. And he says this, he says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for it will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of sins. Yet even before these words were spoken from, from the Zechariah, the people had uh, been familiar with another prophecy that surrounded this Messiah uh, from the prophet Isaiah that we heard last week in our text, as we read from Luke chapter, four, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 4, that John was the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And we were challenged to think about, well, how are we preparing the way of the Lord? How are we living out that faith that, that we have been instilled with? And it's in this moment that Jesus not only affirms John's ministry, John's authority, John's role and purpose in God's plan of salvation, but what Jesus does here is he lays claim to the fact that he is the fulfillment of the prophecy, that he is God's son, that he is the Messiah, that he is the one to fulfill that word. And by baptizing Jesus, John then is declaring, here's the one that you've been waiting for. This is Jesus. This is the Son of God. And so, so we not only see an affirmation of, of John's ministry, we see this affirmation of Jesus, but we also see that Jesus is, is the one. But still the question, why was Jesus baptized? I mean, as we hear throughout Scripture, the whole point is that Jesus was, was sinless. He was without sin. So why would he need to be baptized? Even John himself was kind of taken aback a little bit by that. Uh, and he asked the question, well, why are you coming to me uh, for repentance? Because John recognized his, in himself his own need for forgiveness. In fact, let's take a brief look at Matthew's account, Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 and following. And it says that Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? See, John here is feeling a little bit unqualified, right? He, he's looking in at his life, he's looking at the holiness and the presence of God in front of him, and he's thinking in the back of my mind, well, how can I be the one that does that? But I wanna share some good news with you this morning. God uses imperfect and broken people to bring healing to the wor world. And in fact, let me ask you, has there ever been a time that, that maybe you have felt like John a little bit inadequate as, as you're looking at the holiness and the reverence of God and, and you think in your back of your mind, well, well, how can God use somebody like me? See, this text for this morning reminds us that, that sure enough, 
that God uses people. In John's ministry, John's role was to serve the one who came before him. So the next time you are feeling that sense of doubt, remind yourself that John carried out the work that was before him. That it's not necessarily about who we are, but it's about the one that we serve. In fact, listen to Jesus' response in Matthew chapter 3, three verse 15. It says, now, now let it be now, for it is proper for us to, in this way to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, John, this is how it's been set up. This is how it's been supposed to go. Now, if we bypass any of this stuff, what's going to happen is, is we're going to undermine this plan. And we don't want to do that because my father has a greater plan than any of us can come up with. And it's here that Jesus begins to live into and reveal God's plan of salvation. As 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 reminds us, it says, For our sake God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, see, Jesus became like us in order to free us from the power of sin and death. In fact, through baptism, Jesus empties himself and he uplifts his humanity. And in so doing, he, he enters into a sinful and broken world. And he stood and he did this not at the temple, right? He, he stood in the wilderness with the people that were searching for meaning and for purpose and, and for healing in their hearts. And we see this throughout his ministry. That Jesus comes to save and to seek out the broken and the lost. A journey that would eventually lead him to the cross. Where we, he would take the sin of the world. Our sin upon himself. Accomplishing once and for all what the law could not. You see, following the law fell short. It was about keeping the rules. It was about doing certain things. And, and that never brought salvation. It was just something that would go on and on and on. Yet Jesus did once for all what the, what the law could not. In fact, what makes this event even more significant is when we reflect a little bit deeper on John's role, that we realize that John was actually of the tribe of Levi, right? And, and as it says in Luke's gospel, it, it made it a point to highlight this point that, G, that, that John was a direct descendant of Aaron, a detail which didn't go overlooked. And one of the duties of the priests at the time in the Old Testament was to present those sacrifices to the Lord. Therefore, John's baptism of Jesus could be seen as offering this ultimate sacrifice for sin once and for all. And that through his baptism, Jesus, it is in essence confessing and interceding on behalf not only of a sinful nation, but once again on behalf of the world. In fact, following the baptism of Jesus, John shares these words in John chapter 1, verse 29. He said, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him, and he declared, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. After his baptism, John continued to point to Christ. Yet it's in this moment, in this baptism of Jesus, that he also models for us a little bit of obedience and what it means for us to follow the will of God, and in so doing, points to the importance of baptism as an outward symbol of an inward faith, which later Jesus kind of emphasizes once again as he gives his disciples and us that great commission, right? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And once again, we witness this, this model of obedience, this dependence on God throughout Jesus' life and ministry. In fact, what's the first thing that Jesus does after he's baptized? We're still in verse 21, but don't freak out. It's only two verses, okay? What does he do? First thing he does, it says, now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was 
praying, right? Jesus here models the importance of prayer. And perhaps what he was doing in this moment was maybe he was, he was praying for all those that were around him. Maybe he was praying for their spiritual journey, understanding that, that there would be trials, that there would be hardships, that there would be losses, and, and he was praying for their faith and, and encouraging them. In fact, one of the most powerful prayers that we hear Jesus pray in all of Scripture comes in John, John's Gospel in the 17th chapter. And we're in the Gospel of Luke, so we're not going to look at that, but I encourage you to read that sometime this week. So John chapter 17, it's that's the whole chapter. In fact, Jesus prays not only for his disciples, but he prays for all those who would believe in him. But perhaps, rather than praying for the people around him, Maybe what Jesus was doing in this moment as well is he was praying for his own heart. That he was preparing his own heart for what awaited him. And this life of prayer was such an integrated part of his life that it trickled into everything. From baptism to the cross and everything else in between. As it served as a time of rest and renewal. It serves that as time to, to not only uplift his own heart but also the hearts of others. It was for him a time of discernment. And I wonder how are we utilizing that gift of prayer. How's that going for us? You see that Jesus throughout his ministry had these spiritual timeouts. He would be engaged with folks, but he would have to, have to go away for a little bit to re rejuvenate and refresh his spirit. And Jesus often took moments after significant events to pause. And how quickly we move from the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. You see, baptism, communion, attending worship, Bible study. You know what, church? It's not some box to check, but an opportunity to check in with God and also with one another. An opportunity to pray for ourselves. It's an opportunity to pray for others, to give God our worship and, and seek his will, saying, okay, Lord, now what? What is it that I need to hear? What is it that you want to teach me? What is it that, that you have placed on my heart? And what do you have for me to do? See, instead of moving on to the next thing and the next thing, spend time after that Bible study or spend time after that meeting, even if you get just done praying, because everybody knows that the universal language for closing something is to join a prayer. We say amen and then we're dispersed, right? Let it not be so. Sit in that space. Sit in that moment and spend some time in prayer. In fact, the question I find myself wrestling with is, who am I interceding for in that time of prayer after that meeting or after that time or after that study? Or, or what is it that God wants me to reflect on? Or, or more still, how is God equipping my heart for what's coming next rather than going to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing? You know, speaking of prayer, church, um, we have a need uh, here at the church. And uh, as you may know, Susan Klosterman Finke uh, is our congregational care minister. And she has it on her heart that she wants to be available to pray after worship for people. Okay, and uh, she believes that it's sacred time, sacred space, that, that as people leave, yes, God does speak to their heart. Yes, God, God wants to uplift something for them. And the problem is, is that Susan is also a communion coordinator, uh, which means that she's in the kitchen filling communion cups between services on the fourth, first and fourth Sunday of every month. So here's the deal. Where, where would you rather have Susan? Praying? Filling communion cups. Both are important. Both are important. But, but where do we need that spirit? Where do we need that energy? And this is where you come in. 
We, we need some folks to step forward to be communion assistants. We need some folks to step forward to be on the prayer team and to spend that time also understanding the importance of prayer and lifting up one another in prayer. So if that is something that God has placed on your heart, if you can help us out the first and fourth Sunday in a month with filling those communion kits, or if you're like, you know what, Pastor, God has given me the ability to pray and my, my lips are sealed. He's also given me the ability to keep my mouth shut and not say stuff, right? We need those people. So if that's you, what I want you to do is I want you to take out that white card that's in your pew rack. I want you to fill it out and I want you to say, you know what, communion uh, lead or, or, or prayer ministry team, fill that out and place that in the offering basket as you're a part of your offering today. We need that, we need, that need filled, church. Because, because here's the deal, we, we understand the importance and the power of a praying church. So let's look at what happens next. So the heavens are open, right? And I love that image that as if the storehouse of heaven is at Jesus' disposal. Basically what happens here is that Jesus is being equipped for ministry. In fact, let me ask you, if you could go on a shopping spree to any store right now, any store, what store should, would you choose where you could just buy anything and everything you wanted? How many Cabela's folks out there this morning? Yeah, I, I, got, I got a hand. How many uh, Super Targets? Anybody out there? Walmart? Where's my Walmart folks, folks? Everybody like, Pastor, just go to Amazon. Haven't you learned anything? Right? Right? But, but imagine that feeling of just being able to, to pick out whatever you need and not even worry about it. You know, I, I know we're focusing on, on Luke's gospel, but I love the image that's shared here in Mark's gospel about the same image about the storehouse of heaven being, being open for us. And he says this, he was, he was coming up out of the water. He saw the heavens torn apart. Uh, and, and when I hear about something torn apart, what, what, what does it look like, right? It's this, it's torn apart. Once, once you tear something apart, it's, you can't use it again. You can't put it back together. I mean, sure, you can try, but, but there's always space. It's always open. And I love that image, once again, of that storehouse. Don't worry, that's, that's the first part of the message. You're like, <gasps> But I love that image of that storehouse uh, being at that disposal. Uh, so confession time. Let me ask you, how many of you still have presents that you have yet to unwrap from Christmas? I mean, granted, you took the paper off but you still haven't opened the box. Anybody there that still, still does that? Uh, and I'm not just talking about th those things that maybe not just from, from this Christmas, but Christmas past. And I know some of you are like, well, I'm a collector, so I keep things in the box. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the presents that you haven't opened, that somebody gave you, and there it sits. And maybe we, we have an excuse, right? Or, or maybe, maybe um, you don't have time. Or you think to yourself, you know, I'm just going to get to it later. Or maybe, maybe here's the one. You think, I'm going to use up this stuff that I have first, and then I'm going to open up the new stuff. This one is, I'm sure, where it's going to get you a little bit. Anyone have new pens at home, and they're choosing to use the old ones up first before they get to the new ones? Anybody? How about towels? How about towels? You, you have uh, these ratty towels that you can almost see through and they're all scratchy, yet you, you use them instead of the new ones that you have in the linen closet. Anybody can identify with the towels a little bit, yes? Or, or how about, uh, man, there's tons of stuff like this. You know, how often we forget that we have the storehouse of heaven ready at our disposal and we're choosing not to use it. We're, we're choosing not to tap into those resources. 
You know, in the book of Malachi, we hear this invitation and we hear this challenge. And it says this, bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and thus put me to the test, said the Lord of hosts. So see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overwhelming blessing. And and this text, church, isn't just about our finances. It's about all aspects of our lives. And perhaps we're too busy and perhaps we're too determined. And I don't know if you know this, the original translation of that word determined is stubborn. It's not biblical by any means. I just made that up. But that would have been cool if it was, right? But we get it, right? We're too self-reliant and and we want to deal with things by ourselves. and, And we want to make sure that we're just driving life forward. But in the process, we fail to tap into the resources that are at our disposal. And so the question is, what are we holding on to so tightly right now that we're refusing to let go of? And what are we failing to receive or experience those blessings that God's seeking to pour in our lives? What are you holding on to so tightly right now that you're unable to receive the blessing that God wants to pour into your life? So a few months back, uh, we, had, uh, we had the vortex of change on the gathering space. That's what I like to call a little funnel thing that spins around when you drop your change in. And we were being challenged to, to create a nag bag as a church. And so every time that you found yourself saying something negative about someone or something, you were challenged to put a nickel into a bag and then bring those, those gifts back to church, put them into the vortex of change. And as they were spiraling around, that you would pray for your spirit and your heart uh, to be renewed and refreshed. And, uh, and uh, I, I thought to myself, um, well, I, I don't nag, and I'm not negative that much. And so instead of a nickel, I'm going to use dimes. Church, I went broke that week, right? You don't realize how much you do something until you really pay attention. And, and that really challenged me and, and opened my heart and my mind to think, okay, how am I responding? How am I acting? How am I interacting or reacting to others? And so that week I had this huge bag of dimes, which, which I hadn't put in the vortex of change yet. And, and Anna Lynn, who was about three and a half, four years old at the time, had a single shiny dime. And without her knowing what I had, I said, I will trade you what I have in this bag for that, for that shiny dime. And she looked at me, she looked at the dime, and she was holding on to that thing for dear life. It was like the most, most treasure she had. Her sister wasn't helping in the process, but, but Anna Lynn gave me a, the dime. And so what I did was I gave her the whole bag of dimes. She was willing to let go of that one thing in order to receive the greater blessing. And the question I have for us today is what lesson can we learn from a three and a half and a four-year-old about opening our hand to receive the promises of God, to receive those gifts and that blessing of the storehouse of heaven. See, church, the storehouse of heaven is open for you, ready to speak into your hardships, your trials, your tragedies, your losses, whatever it is that you are going through and dealing with in your life right now. And all that we have to do is that we have to open ourselves to simply receive it. So rather than clinging so tightly, what would it mean to place all that we have and all that we are into God's hands, to seek his wisdom, seek his insight, to seek his blessing in all of life, because when we do, our lives will be blessed. So, so where were we? Baptism, praying, pause, heavens are now open, verse 22. 
And the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And once again, I love the depiction of this event in Matthew's gospel as we read, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And before we get stuck in any strange ideas about what alighting means, like, like what can happen when birds fly overhead kind of stuff, alighting actually means that the Spirit rested on him. It, it was dwelling in him. It remained with him. And, and it means more than that. It also means that, that Jesus was filled, filled up by the Holy Spirit. In other words, in this moment, Jesus was empowered. And much like that song from 1990, right? I've got the power, right? That, that was, anybody remember that one? Yeah, a few of you, yes. Yeah. yeah, right? Jesus is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that same Spirit of God, right, dwells and abides and resides in you. And not somewhere out there, okay, but right in here, inside each and every one of us. And the challenge that, that Paul gave to Timothy is the same charge and the same challenge I give to you today. Rekindle that gift of faith that is within you. Take hold of that spark and that presence of God's Holy Spirit and allow it to drive who you are and what you say and what you do. So the storehouse of heaven is open. The power of God is in Jesus and with Jesus. And now the last part, verse 22, and the voice of heaven. And I don't know about you, but whenever I read this, I go like James or Jones, Darth Vader kind of stuff. I am your father kind of stuff right here. It says, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. And that statement goes deeper than the surface level that gee, God is just saying, yep, that's my boy. Really proud of him. In fact, it goes back to Isaiah chapter 42, where Jesus once again fulfills another prophecy that was spoken. And God is referring to that prophecy in this moment as he claims Jesus Christ. And it's here, if anybody had any doubt, that God himself points to who Jesus is as the Son of God, uplifting his divine and human nature as well as his role and his authority. In fact, as we heard in our introduction to our text for today, we have all the people present of the Trinity present in this text, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, active and working. But I want to share with you some good news this morning. We too, like Jesus, are called sons and daughters of God. We too are equipped and empowered by the gift of God's Holy Spirit with gifts and responsibilities to be used for God's kingdom. Galatians chapter three, verse 26 and 27 puts it this way. It says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Have you ever tried to go into somebody's jacket or like oversized sweatshirt or something, right? It engulfs you. You are part of it. That's exactly what we do, but even better because Jesus Christ and God's Holy Spirit resides in us. And it's only after the blessing of this event that's highlighted in just two verses that Jesus begins his formal ministry. And I think to myself, this, this is what happens when, when we're baptized, right? We are free from the power of sin and death. We are washed anew. We are claimed by God. We, we, he calls us by name. He says, this is my son. This is my daughter. And that same spirit resides and descends upon us to rest with us and dwell with us, to live with us, to abide with us and fill us. And we too are sent out in mission for the life of the world. So here's the deal. If you are feeling drained today, if your spiritual gauge is, is kind of on empty, 
I pray that you would be filled to overflowing. I pray that your heart would be filled, that you would be encouraged by the word of God, knowing that God is with you. I pray that you will be equipped with the storehouse of heaven, and I pray that you will be empowered and sent by the Holy Spirit. So your homework for this week, what I want you to do, you're going to see a text up on the screen this morning. It's from Romans chapter 6, verse 3 through 5, and I love this text. This text uh, is, is what's used and referred to as an entrance rite. This text is spoken uh, at the beginning of, of a memorial funeral service from the back of the church, and it talks about the gift of baptism and how we are claimed by the promises of God. And after you read that text, I want you to reflect on these questions. What does it mean to receive new life in Christ? What encouragement does that promise give me in my daily walk of faith? And I was reflect on the message. What, what's my takeaway from the baptism of Jesus? We had so much stuff thrown out at us today. But what was that one thing that stuck with you? And maybe what we should do today, maybe we should just sit a little bit longer, be present in the moment, in the space, and pray over it. Lord, what do you have to say to me? What are you speaking to me today? And what have you placed upon my heart? The second part of your homework is this. As a Lutheran church, you're going to hear some stuff uh, from Martin Luther from time to time. Martin Luther reminds us that we should begin each and every day remembering that we are baptized. Uh, when we feel the water on our faces in the morning, it should remind us of the waters of baptism, waters that have claimed us, waters that have freed us. So more practically, when you're washing your hands, when you're washing your face, when you're getting ready in the morning, take some time and think about that baptism promise of how God has claimed you and washes you anew each day. In just a moment, the ushers are going to wait upon us for our tithes, our gifts, and our offerings. And today is, is truly a special day in the life of the congregation uh, as we're going to be returning our pledge cards. Uh, in the mail, you got like a two-page front and back uh, letter. I'm sure you didn't read it, but today is January 8th when those pledge cards are due. If you didn't bring those with you into worship today, there's more on the welcome desk. You can get up and go get one. We'll wait for you. Just kidding. Uh, you can bring those in uh, in the weeks to come. You can uh, uh, mail those in, whatever you, whatever you want to do. But those pledge cards uh, not only help us build our budget for 2023, but they're a sign of our work and our partnership together and, and truly our trust in the promises of God. And, and once again, um, I just got to say with a word of thanks and gratitude, it's amazing what we as a congregation are able to accomplish, not only uh, within the walls of this congregation, but as we reach out to our community, as we reach out to our global partners and the impact that we make. So in gratitude, just uh, a word of thanks uh, for that partnership together in the work of God's kingdom. And we are blessed uh, to have our ushers wait upon us for our ties, our gifts, and our offerings and our commitments uh, for this upcoming year. Ushers.